As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The race is on, and the final on-track action of 2020 gave a taste of what's to come next year with Fernando Alonso, back for Renault on a day that made a mockery of the name Young Driver Test. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to look at Alonso's preparations and some of the other stories from the test day is Glenn Freeman. Well, Glenn, hello. A, a podcast about Alonso back at Renault. Now, I can remember us doing this 12, 13 years ago, when he was going back to the team last time round, there's something reassuringly familiar about this, isn't there? Yeah, there is right now, because, uh, Ed, you and I and, and Mark Hughes are preparing to do a special episode of Bring Back V8s next week. So I guess we could talk about Alonso going back to Renault again when we do that. But yeah, I, th- I think everyone associates Alonso with Renault because that's where he won his world championships. So I think there is something quite cool about him going back for a third stint with that team. Yeah, it felt like Renault was the preface to the main part of his F1 career, wasn't it? But that that's not proved to be the case. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe going home to Enstone will will deliver things. But obviously, he's driven the 2020 car before briefly on a filming day. He's been doing laps in the 2018 car all over the place. And he was even out in the 2005 car doing some demos over the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix weekend. But of course, he's Fernando Alonso. So inevitably, he brings with him some controversy. So should he have been allowed to participate in the young driver test? Um, well, if it was actually a young driver test, then no. It's very easy to to poke fun at Alonso doing this test and to pick apart the arguments behind how he was allowed to do it. And I know we're going to get into that next. The one thing I would say is that personally, I think it's brilliant he was out at this test. I mean, Ed, you were the one following it for us at the race. And I think if if Alonso hadn't been driving, there wouldn't really have been much to talk about. But the fact that he was there, that was a great story. And then to top it off, he was fastest as well. We, we as the media, couldn't really have asked for any more, could we? 
yes, there's a few different hats I can wear here. From that perspective, yes, it was clearly more interesting that Fernando Alonso was in the car than Christian Lundgaard. I doubt if Christian Lundgaard would agree with that, a, a, a fine young driver. But yeah, when it comes to the bigger picture, the young driver test, and we should stress, this is in the regulations. When they reissued the regulations after the, the COVID changes, this was cut down to a one-day test, and it was specifically for young drivers. It's not actually defined by age, it's defined by experience, so no more than two Grand Prix starts. Alonso's got a couple more than two Grand Prix starts, so in no way is he eligible. So I don't blame Renault and Alonso for, for doing this test. Alonso had the chance, of course, it's his job to maximise his preparation, so he's right to be in it. I don't think the FIA and F1 should have allowed it, but obviously enough people were keen on doing it. There's a slightly different argument about whether new drivers, or rather drivers moving teams for next year, should have been allowed to participate, because the line that was drawn was that it's drivers who did not race in F1 in 2020 who are allowed to participate. So we had Alonso, Sebastian Boemi, Robert Kubica, Stoffel van Dorn, who are all not eligible by the rules. But Alonso obviously has played down a bit the significance of this, but to have a full day's testing in the in the Pucker 2020 car, I don't care if it's going to change next year with the, the floor rule tweaks and a few of the other little aero things they're doing to restrict downforce. Just being able to work with a team, build the knowledge of that car by way of a comparison as well for testing next year, that that's going to be important, particularly for someone like Alonso. Maybe the rule wasn't you had to you could only have taken part in two Grand Prix. Maybe it's you could only have won two world championships. And if he'd won one of those Ferrari titles, he wouldn't have been eligible. Finally, he can be happy for missing however many <laughs> titles it is by about a total of seven points or whatever the number is. But yeah, I mean, if we look at what that test was supposed to be, it's a joke that he was allowed to do it. And it is disappointing that the other drivers making a big switch for next year. So Ricardo to McLaren, uh, Vettel to Racing Point, Aston Martin, and of course, Sainz to Ferrari. And I think Ferrari did try and get Sainz in, didn't they? Whereas... Those other two teams we mentioned didn't even bother running because they didn't really see the value in it. They would have seen the value if they knew they could get their new guys in. It would have made that test a lot more interesting. And I think once they, once they let Alonso through the door, really that, that should have been it. And they've got to say, right, the rules have changed. Um, but it all came together quite late. I don't... I don't have anything against Renault at all for asking the question and for, for trying to get it through. Everyone's here to look out for their own advantage and it's it's to Renault's credit that whatever kind of tangled web they managed to twist here um, to get Alonso into this test has worked. And that, that's that's what F1's about, that's what Alonso's about and that's what that team needs to be about. You know, Every single possible advantage you can find, you need to be looking for now. You know, Renault is still, as we've seen this year, taking steps forward but they are part of a, a very competitive very tightly packed midfield battle still and to even get to the front of that now looks harder than it did a couple of years ago when Renault first achieved it so I I kind of respect that the team got it through I'm disappointed personally that we didn't see the other drivers getting a chance particularly with there being so little testing next season you know some of these guys are going to have what a day and a half in these cars um, in proper in proper spec uh, in pre-season before they end up hopefully going to the Australian Grand Prix. I think Ferrari spoke, didn't they, about trying to get science out either on demo tyres or in a 2018 car or something like that in January. I think we're going to see a few of those tricks pulled because there's going to be so little track time between now and the start of next season. 
yeah, they're going to want to get out there and, and run just to familiarise themselves with the team. Even the old cars are, are worth running. But there are only two 2020 race drivers running. One of them was Alonso. The other one was a driver who did qualify, which is Mick Schumacher, who was out in the Haas following his FP1 debut in, in Abu Dhabi. But for someone like Alonso, he got 105 laps in the car. Now, Alonso's been embedded with the team. Even when he's not there, he's got his virtual pit wall. He's following with the onboards. He's speaking with Ricardo and Ocon. He's plugged into that team. So everything he'll have done on that day will have been about understanding and interpreting their feedback, trying some things, understanding how to work with the people in the team. Cyril Abitable, the, the team principal, said it was a human justification for doing it so he could integrate himself with people but Alonso is so rigorous so focused give him anything and 105 laps in the current car is a massive amount of of knowledge and just to just to feed into that foundation for next year so it can't fail to put him in in better shape and yeah I, I don't blame him at all last time he tested in Formula One he tested for McLaren in Bahrain in 2019 early in the season so he vaguely kept his hand in there. But I don't think it's so much about his sharpness or anything. It won't it won't hurt him. But it's more just about that integration, isn't it? That's the thing that's going to make a big difference. And like you say, three days of pre-season testing with one car for each team. Anything you can do to hit the ground running is essential. It's familiarity as well. I, I think I'm sure they gained quite a lot from all the 2018 car running they've done because I'd imagine... A lot of Renault systems and things like the steering wheel and the way you operate the power unit, all of that, even if it's not identical now, it will be familiar. But to do that in the 2020 car on the proper tyres, on a track where you've just had a race weekend, so the team's got a load of comparable data, the the value of that test is huge. And that, that's one of the things that I think was a bit cheeky of Alonso and Renault to play it down. I can understand why they were, but I don't believe them at all. It was of huge value. Those are 100 plus very valuable laps for next year. And that's before you even consider consider how much of these cars are getting carried over. But uh, our colleague Scott Mitchell made a really good point in some of the stuff he's been doing is that Alonso's been out of F1 for this amount of time, kind of of his, of his own doing. He's the one who decided to walk away. He's the one who then couldn't quite find a way back in to begin with. He's gone off and done other things. The only way I think you could really justify letting someone in his position come back in the way they have for this test would be if say they were forced out by injury or some kind of misfortune had befallen them and everyone goes right we've got to do them a favor let's get that guy back in let's get him back up to speed but not a guy who who left of his own volition who's incredibly experienced who's a world champion who's been pounding round in these 20 2018 cars and doing as much as he can with Renault and as far as I'm concerned is fully integrated with the team already so yeah it was it was cheeky and it was of huge value to Alonso and Renault I'm certain of that. Alonso himself said after the test that it felt a bit more serious than what the work he's previously been doing with Renault and he said they, they signed off lots of basics that they'd already done at the factory so seat fitting pedal positions etc now all that stuff matters because obviously the monocoque's carried over to next year as part of the the freeze on on car changes the cars are largely carried over you can make aero changes and that you can spend tokens on a few things but that's just a few things that don't have to go on the run plan for the start of testing when he's out in the car and when you're talking about so little time that's that's really beneficial and if there's any fundamental problems with accommodating him properly there's a bit more time to think about it. So just a little bit more smooth. And then when he goes to Enstone, he'll be at the factory at times over the winter, no doubt about that. 
he's just got that that data and that knowledge to to fall back on. And you just think how much would Sebastian Vettel have loved to get into a racing point and just get a feel for it, or Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari? It would have made a huge difference. So yeah, they will have been watching on with some degree of envy at uh, what, everyone else, what everyone else was doing, at what, at what Alonso was being able to do there. And, yeah, it, it's a nice little kick to the end of the season because, as you say, the rest of the storylines there, there, there's some interesting drivers there, but there's no big-ticket drivers running in, in that test. Alonso, as we said, he wasn't the only driver who was technically ineligible for this test. Four of them. One of them was a man who last started a Grand Prix back in 2011, Sebastian Buemi. He was caught out by the slightly tricky-to-drive car. He did spin and uh, tag the wall, creating a little bit of damage. Nothing too major in the morning of the running. But what does that say about the Red Bull Junior programme? I think it says as much about the Red Bull Junior programme as the Alex Alban story has. Um Obviously, this isn't the time to talk about Alex too much, but people have been talking about his future and what Red Bull's decision there might say about its view towards its junior programme. Well, Alex wasn't part of that anyway. He got dropped from that years ago and then got plucked out of a Formula E contract with Nissan to come back when Red Bull ran out of drivers. I find it really interesting that Buemi's still on the the fringes of Red Bull's programme and gets rolled out for the odd tyre test and that sort of thing when they need someone because I feel that he... He's probably the sort of driver they've been looking for now, you know, just a solid hand who could be a backup to Verstappen. But he was he was a victim of when the Red Bull driver program was so much stronger than it seems to be at the moment. He, he, he was in an era where a driver at Toro Rosso didn't necessarily get very long because Formula Renault 3.5 or GP3 or even GP2 occasionally would have more ready to go juniors from the Red Bull program coming along, winning races, winning championships. And I think it's interesting because, yeah, if Buemi had been around now, I think he'd been considered a really solid option for Red Bull's junior program, would have got longer in F1 than he got at the time. And that applies to a few more of those drivers who, as you witnessed firsthand, Ed, were so often spat out of that program and spat out of F1 so quickly. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that they've kept Buemi involved and probably the more interesting driver, I guess, that was in a, a Red Bull funded car uh, at this test, of course, was Yuki Tsunoda, who does, does he technically count as a Red Bull junior or is he more of a Honda man? Well, he is, he is on the Red Bull programme, but there's a connection there through Honda, but he's absolutely meriting his place on, on the Red Bull programme. So yeah, good to see him out in the AlphaTauri. That's his first test in the contemporary car. He drove at Imola a few months ago in the 2018 car to, to get himself uh, acclimatised to it. And obviously, we're expecting him in the race seats next season. That's something that's basically been an open secret for, for some time. So expect news on that to be confirmed imminently. Yeah, Sonoda's a good driver to have in. But then you look at it, they've got four cars out in that test across AlphaTauri and Red Bull. One of them's for Boemi. One of them's a rent-to-drive for Marino Sato, the F2 driver. And then you've got Sonoda, who's a genuine, and Yuri Vips, who is a genuine junior. He's had a horribly disrupted season. He was meant to be doing Super Formula, but he couldn't get over there because of all the COVID travel restrictions. And he did a bit in Formula Regional Europe and then a bit in F2. But, you know, he's a, he's a driver with, with real potential. It's a bit sad because I remember being at these young driver tests when there was some really impressive performance. I was there in 2010 when Ricardo drove for 
for Red Bull in, in, in Abu Dhabi and really impressed. And that's a big part of his story in terms of getting to F1. Carlos Sainz as well, the past in, in Red Bull, his test performance in the, in, as a young driver was really important in terms of supporting the results in his single-seater career that ebbed and flowed a little bit, but his quality behind the wheel w- was there and important. So, yeah, it's it's... It's been strange for a few years what's been going on with the Red Bull programme and it's still a little bit unsettled. Bremi, incidentally, could have had that Hartley drive that, that was given to him a few years ago, but why would Bremi throw away a Formula E and, and whack Toyota deal in order to focus on some more midfield runs in, uh, runs in F1? So, yeah, I'd, I'd like us to get back to the point where Red Bull are there and running a load of, of good young drivers. But to their credit, there were a couple of relevant ones for them. And we should actually say, even in Renault's case, Guan Yu Zhou was in the other car. He finished six in F2 last year. So there are some genuine uh, rookies and up-and-comers getting out in this test. That's something, isn't it? Yeah, there's some there's some good names when you look up and down. It's, it's, it's very true what you say about Vips. I think his, his career momentum has really suffered as a result of just 2020 doing 2020 things. Um but you know Ferrari, Ferrari had um, quite a few guys out as well, and their junior program, if anything, resembles what we would consider the peak of the Red Bull years. They've had so many drivers on their books this year. So many of them ended up in F2 at the same time, ended up at the front of F2 at the same time, fighting for the for the championship. So yeah, there's there's credible names through that list. It's just interesting that it's peppered with the occasional guy who you think is there probably because they've they've paid for it or they've got a a tie with the team that's never quite going to go anywhere. You've got the um, slightly bizarre Mercedes lineup that we'll come to in a minute. And yeah, then you've got Robert Kubica. Um, and yeah, I, I, what, what are they? Some of these teams have been quite cheeky, as we said. Uh, same for same for Renault, really. I guess it's a chance for Alfa Romeo to, to honour some of the running they have to give Kubica as part of his deal, which I think bring some commercial stuff with it as well. But yeah, you look down that list, there's a few guys there who we might see in F1 in the future. So the test wasn't a complete write-off. It just didn't perhaps have the the straightforward narrative of a young driver test, like some of those ones you mentioned in the past, when perhaps there were some more stronger junior programs. And the test used to be a mix of guys who were real up-and-comers and then some of their rivals in the junior formulas who would buy a seat somewhere and sometimes those drivers could could get themselves um into the mix by putting in a good performance as well so it's definitely it's a strange makeup um and as i said earlier i'm I'm kind of relieved that alonso was fastest yeah it's interesting that you mentioned the ferrari drivers they had robert schwartzman obviously is the one who's stuck in that in that queue he wants to get to the front of it and be the next cab off the rank for ferrari hopefully off the back of his F2 performances next year. Antonio Fuoco, who's actually a former Ferrari Academy driver, now he's their simulator driver, so he's tested before, so he was he was out for them. So there's, yeah, there's, there's a few few drivers in there who are... Callum Eilat, if we're talking about people who are stuck. <laughs> stuck without a race seat, but with the consolation of just having been confirmed as Ferrari's test driver for 2021. But this was his first test for Alfa Romeo since he had a huge shunt at uh, Barcelona in May last year, which I keep reminding everyone of. But Eilat's a driver with a lot of ability who it would have been great to see get a shot in Formula 1. Fine season in, in F2. We should talk about those Mercedes drivers. It's their Formula E lineup. It's Stoffel van Dorn and Nick de Vries. Second and third fastest. De Vries was slightly faster. Stoffel van Dorn gets the consolation prize having missed out on a race outing as a reserve. He gets uh, gets to drive about in testing. 
two names who who fell off the the F1 ladder at, at different stages. At least Van Dorn got there. Yeah, I, I think um, it's probably yeah bittersweet for Van Dorn. He finally gets to try out the the greatest F1 car or the fastest F1 car of all time, but not in the scenario he maybe thought he'd be getting a few weeks ago ahead of the Sakhir Grand Prix. I have some some sympathy there. I know there's been a, a lot of talking points recently about, you know, should should teams have to honour that whoever their reserve driver is if they have a gap come up? And I can see why it made a lot more sense for Mercedes to get George Russell in that car. But if you are a reserve driver like Van Dorn, you go to these races, you have nothing to do. And especially this year, there's been fewer people to talk to and to sit around with in in hospitality and that sort of thing so it's time away from your family or away from home and all all that and now he's probably thinking well if they ask me to do this again next year I'm never going to get called up but from what I can see Stoffel really enjoyed driving the car I'm sure they both did I do kind of like the crossover between the the F1 and the Formula E lineup I think that's that's quite a nice touch and uh Hopefully we'll see Lewis Hamilton out in the Formula E car next year. Uh, maybe they can do a young driver test that's only for seven-time world champions. Um, but yeah, Van Dorn, I think F1 spat Van Dorn out too quickly. He was he was a victim of a terrible time in McLaren's history. Um, struggled alongside Alonso. I know, Ed, you wrote a great piece about this for the website recently. De Vries, I covered early parts of De Vries's career and I felt that every step he got to, he had to be there quite a while to build up a level of experience and then kind of won championships and races maybe through being a bit of a veteran at that level rather than being the explosive talent that we and particularly McLaren might have hoped he would be when they first snapped him up as he was coming out of karting. So Van Dorn was the one for me. I, I covered both of those drivers at various times. And I think Van Dorn had the higher ceiling. Um, and yeah, as, as you wrote quite recently, just a, just a shame that he might never get the chance to put right when what went wrong at McLaren. Yeah, if you want to read that Van Dorn piece, it's on the race website. If you search for Van Dorn's lost a chance to correct his career catastrophe and the race and Ed Straw or something in Google, you will uh, you will probably find it. Interesting driver. I, I can't say he completely covered himself in glory but, uh, with, what, with what happened at McLaren. And I kind of explained the reasons for it there. But I think there's a really, really good driver in there who F1 only briefly saw the best of. It's actually his 17 season after a shaky start was 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 really pretty good and, and towards the end of it he was relatively close to Alonso considering the, the the history of Alonso's teammates in particular so yeah nice to see him back in a car and it means that next year and of course Covid's still going to be a fact of life next year uh, unfortunately there could be reserve opportunities again that will that will crop up we had three of them this year with with Racing Point and Mercedes so Van Dorn being race sharp he's still got those connections with Racing Point and McLaren could use him maybe next year as well. So who knows what, what will happen. But yeah, a funny way to end the year with uh, with those 15, 15 drivers out, out in that test. A mixture of old and new, I would say. And we uh, we didn't mention Williams. They had Jack Aitken and Roy Nassani out. But uh, yeah, next season really has started here, hasn't it? Particularly for guys like Alonso and Schumacher. So coming back to Alonso, it's just great to have him back, isn't it? Yeah, I think F1 has missed him for the last couple of years. He's uh, he's box office. He brings storylines. He brings some controversy. Um, he courts he courts some of it. But I think um, one of the words uh, that we used in one of our pieces recently, I think, was mischief. And I think Alonso loves a bit of that. He understands his value uh, to the media as well. 
Um, and I think he gets he gets a kick out of that. And he knows that because of his status, he can have a lot of people eating out of his hand as well. So it's quite easy for him if he's got a narrative he wants to get across. He can normally get that across quite well. We saw that in his McLaren years where he kept qualifying anywhere between sort of 14th and 19th. And he would then declare it the best qualifying lap of his career. And all that did was make people go, yeah, Fernando's brilliant. How bad must that McLaren be? Um, so he's very good at controlling that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I, I think all the stars have aligned here. He, he's done a test that has wound up a lot of his future opposition. Um, he's managed to do over 100 laps and he's managed to go quickest. He, he'll be walk, he'll be walking or flying out of Abu Dhabi um, very happy with, with his week's work, which of course uh, included all those runs in the uh, V10 Renault that interrupted everybody's uh, post-qualifying and post-session um, interviews. And one of my favourite clips of the weekend was Lewis Hamilton being unable to hear the questions he was being asked in the media pen and just constantly looking around for where that V10 engine was screaming from. And uh, you could see in Lewis's eyes that his, his face, his, he had a mask on, but his face was lighting up under that mask. So yeah, Alonso managed to find plenty of ways for us to talk about him over the last few days. And I think signing off like this fastest at a test that he probably shouldn't have even been at is just classic Fernando Alonso yeah the first win of F1 2021 goes to Fernando Alonso <laughs> just by turning up for a, a test he's started more than 300 Grand Prix in excess of the qualifying criteria for us just classic Alonso but all credit to him don't blame him for it at all well thanks very much Glenn Freeman do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. We should have some driver news coming up soon, so there'll be loads to read on there. Mentioning the Renault R25, Gary Anderson did a piece comparing the Renault R25 with the 2020 car and the, the growth in Formula One cars, so there's something you can have a look at there. Do check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which is soon to temporarily become Bring Back V8s for a one-off special. And also have a look at our YouTube channel, just search for The Race. We'll be back very soon with our next podcast, which will be a look at the top 10 drivers of the F1 season. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.